There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grombacher. Joining me, as always, is Centauri Miner. Hello, folks. And helping us move from awareness to action this week is Aaron Cornelius, the Executive Director of Furnishing Dignity, an organization helping individuals and families dwell in dignity by providing furnishings and other essential household items to transform a house into a home. Aaron, we are excited to have you on. How are you today? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for having me today. So I was thinking about ways to tease Centauri, but I didn't necessarily come up with anything good other than Centauri, you recently moved into a new place. Do you have all the rooms in your new apartment furnished? Indeed, I do. Okay. All right. But I live a very sparse life, so it's not much. (laughs) I, I, I was picturing an empty bedroom or something like that, but but I digress. So, Aaron, you've been the executive director for going on two years now, and we were just hoping to to get a thumbnail shot of what your career path has been and what led you to Furnishing Dignity. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for that question. So, um, I've been in the nonprofit world for pretty close to 30 years now. Um, uh, after finishing um, a tour in the Air Force um, and finishing my de- bachelor's degree in psychology while I was enlisted, um, I started working in the therapy field and worked in group homes, um, finding my way eventually to the juvenile court system as a therapist after I finished my first master's degree. And that's kind of how I got involved with a lot of youth in need, families who were, you know, quite, not quite as functional as we would like, and knowing that, you know, there were just tons of resources in the community, but folks just didn't know about them. So after my time at uh, the Juvenile Court Center, I became a therapist and worked in that field for a while, and then found my way to the nonprofit world, where I was the CEO for Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Nevada for, um, many years, eight or 10 years, Um, and uh, did that and moved back to Arizona and uh, did some grant writing and worked at a couple nonprofits and then found my way to Furnishing Dignity in um, early, well, about almost two years ago now. So it was early 2017 Um, and um, love the work that we do. And um, luckily, I'm connected with a lot of nonprofits because I've been in the field for a while and am very focused on partnerships and collaborations and stretching the dollars because there are a lot of folks out there who do great work, but we all kind of do pieces of the pie. And I think we just need to work at making it you know, a much better, uh, fuller, tastier pie so that the folks in need can get the services that they need. That's great. Aaron, I would love to know. So you have a great, great, great background, but why furnishing dignity for you? You could work at any nonprofit. Why this? Um, I would say this nonprofit because um, there are so many individuals and families who are coming out of crisis. So 
not just homelessness um, and not just those kids who are aging out of the foster care system, but we have so many families in need who might be coming out of a, a fire or a flood. We also work with so many domestic violence folks that I think we work with a wide range of individuals and families with a diverse set of needs. And I think because of my history in the nonprofit world, as well as the counseling field, um, I come with those assets that are benefit to the organization so that rather than just providing a bed to someone who might need a place to sleep, um, we can furnish their place, but then connect them with resources in the community that can keep them stable so that we don't see this revolving door of homelessness as often as we probably do. I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I would have to imagine that technology is probably really helping the connectivity between different groups. I I wonder maybe 20 years ago, if you were, because there must also be so many different groups out there doing so many great things that to your point could really benefit one another if only you knew about them. So has technology really helped with that as of late over the last couple of years? Oh, absolutely. I think, um, you know, before a lot of the new technology and especially the apps, and we're currently working on an app, um, that we kind of depended on word of mouth, which is typically very slow. And so um, being able to not only refer the folks we're working with to somewhere online or connect them via email with someone. Um, we can use pieces of technology to better serve our folks and connect them to resources versus writing down a name and number on a piece of paper and hoping they don't lose that piece of paper. Um, And then our ability to research resources in the community. I mean, I just got a call from a case manager 30 minutes ago who found us online and, um, you know, we serve, we've served other folks in her organization. And so I'm wondering, how is she not getting the information? What are we not doing right that we're not sharing that in a, you know, using technology? So I think we can certainly do a better job, but it has certainly helped us connect folks in a more intimate way. Well, who would have thunk it, Aaron, <laughs> from working with big brothers and big sisters, one of the most probably intimate relationships that that, that people can have in, in mentorship capacity to to now furnishing dignity and now developing mobile applications. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know how it's going to go, but we're crossing our fingers that it'll go well. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be great. <laughs> Thank you. So, one of the questions that we love asking is, what are th- what are the three biggest things that you've learned over the past three years? Oh my goodness, um, I think one of the biggest things that I've learned especially since coming to Furnishing Dignity, is that, you know, we hear in the community that we are addressing homelessness um, and that organizations are having success with homelessness. But I, the thing that I've learned, first and foremost, is that providing a roof and a locked door is not providing a home to, to someone in need. Um, it certainly provides safety, um, but it does not create a home. And so um, when we see folks who are, you know, assisted with um, some type of housing program, um, but don't have anything in their home from nothing from plates to a shower curtain, um, it's really 
not a whole ton better. I mean, certainly it's safer than living on the street, but it's not a home. And so what I found is that, you know, just someone being able to survive does not help them thrive. And that having pieces in their home makes it feel like a home and now they can cook their own dinner. So I, I was hearing stories that we were doing well with homelessness, but then we see these people, you know, in the counseling world, we talk about recidivism. You know, we see them recidivate and go back into the homeless world because it hasn't been a home for them. And so that was a very interesting lesson for me. Um, the other thing that I've learned, especially coming from a small organization like Furnishing Dignity, is that partnerships are so absolutely critical. Not only um, you know our social service partnerships, but our corporate partnerships. Um, we have some amazing folks who step forward to help us grow um, and serve folks in need. And I think not being afraid to ask is the key and that folks are happy and willing to assist in whatever way is meaningful to them and we just have to ask. So I think, you know, number two, partnerships, absolutely important. Um, and then the other thing is that, you know, those of us who work in the nonprofit world uh, work a lot, not that other folks don't, but um, it's our passion and our heart and so even more in the last few years I've found that I have to work for a better work-life balance, um, that I'm more useful to my coworkers and my board of directors and the people we serve if I'm rested and, you know, in better shape because I've cleared my mind after running a half marathon, um, that I think as I, you know, I'm, I'm not young, I'm over 50, and so as I, you know, get older, it's even more important to have that work-life balance. So that's probably even become more crystal for me in the last, you know, two years. Aaron, it's interesting that you say that I had a, um, I, I've been talking a lot about the idea of compassion fatigue. And when you're someone that deals with clients as directly as you do, taking the time for yourself to realize that if you're going to be the best person you could be for the people that you serve, you also have to take care of you first. So I'm glad that you highlighted and illuminated that. It's very, you know, it's very interesting because, um, you know, the compassion fatigue is, and I like that term, I think, because, you know, we're always afraid that if we don't take that call and if we don't do that thing, that somebody's not going to be helped, um, but it'll be there in an hour and it'll be there tomorrow. And so I think it's something we continually need to force ourselves to do because it, it seems like we're being selfish when we do it, but again... I think it's so critical to do it so that we can be better people, you know, for the folks who need us. Right. Yeah, I think that's, that is 100% right. And so difficult for people who are fully engaged in their work to do that, to take that step back. But, but it is critical. Um, I, I, I loved all three of, of the things that you mentioned. And I think that the idea of don't be afraid to ask don't be afraid to ask for help because people want to help you is something that that, that crosses across all industries in, in all different sectors, but it's tough for people to do that even though you know what great work you're doing and even though you know what an incredible impact that you have on the lives of the people you serve, it's still tough. So I, I've always found that to be interesting. I don't know exactly how to help people overcome that other than just to really encourage them to ask. 
Right. And I think some people don't like doing it. I mean, it's, people have this fear of, you know, public speaking or whatever their fear is. Sometimes, you know, they're afraid of being told no. I'm okay with being told no. I just want to know, is the no for now or is the no forever? Is it just week? <laughs> I clarify the no. Um, but there is also a finesse to it, right? That um, people feel badly telling us no for mo the most part. And so I think it's so critical up front for those of us in the nonprofit world who are making an ask to do our research ahead of time and see if it's a good potential ask, right? I'm not going to ask someone to support us who, you know, supports um, animal rescue and senior nutrition because we're just not one of their passions and that's okay. Um, and so it's really important for us to go, you know, are we in their ballpark somehow? And if not, you know, um, you know, should I have a conversation with them to see if it is even of interest? So yeah, it's asking is definitely hard, but it's like Christmas, right? I mean, we, every time we ask and something wonderful comes through, we just received a grant last week for $30,000. And we're so excited because it's kind of a funder that's a little difficult to get money from and so we were very surprised we actually asked for just under 14,000 and they gave us 30,000 so that stuff happened wow <laughs> I know you're congratulations. like congratulations <laughs> kudos wow yeah so it's unusual when that happens and then you write some and you're very confident you're going to get it and it's a zippo right um, but that doesn't that doesn't deter us because um, you know I we our mission is so critical especially for our kids you know, coming out of whatever crisis has befallen their family, it's so critical for them to have beds. Um, you know, we know that kids do better in school if they're rested. We know families function better if they're not all sharing, you know, a piece of the floor or one bed. And so, um, you know, it's the work that we do is just not making a home pretty or making it, you know, a place for someone to live it impacts so many pieces of their life and that's kind of what we think about as we do this work you know or a veteran coming off the street who's been sleeping in the park for 10 years you know and now has a bed and a couch and you know they they fought for us and protected our country and how could we not give them a bed so you know it's just it seems like very simple and to some people maybe not as necessary as other basic needs but to us, it's just as important as having a roof over your head. Erin, I'm glad that you illuminated the um, the why. I've worked with an organization or a couple of organizations, but mainly I'm thinking the Welcome to America Project, which does the kind of similar work with refugees. And we were saying that, you know, what they really need is the piece to make it feel like a home. It's the small things, the paintings, the, the, the plates, the people having a bed that really helps with their mental health and them getting through things. Um, I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about the how, though. So you've given a great overview of about why your work is important, but how does how does it work? Um, so we receive referrals from uh, nonprofit partners uh, as well as individuals who just find us on the internet. Um, they call us. We complete a checklist to see if they meet, you know, very basic criteria. Um, you know, do you have a place to live? Um, you, you know, do you have a lease? Can you pay your rent? Uh, do you live in our service delivery area? Because we can't serve, you know, all of Maricopa County, but we serve a pretty big uh, section of that. 
So it's about um, you know ensuring that they are safe and secure and on their way to empowerment. Uh, we then do an application and an, a wish list of furniture. Um, that's step two. Step three, we do a walkthrough of their place. We actually measure for furniture. We talk to them about, you know, if you have your choice, would you want a blue couch or a red couch or a brown couch to try and make it personalized for them. And then the final step is delivery of the furniture. And we also set it up and we take all our trash and we leave. So when we leave, the beds are made, everything is put in its place and it's, you know, the home is ready to be lived in. Uh, we're fortunate enough to have two amazing moving company partners. One is called uh, Get Your Move On and the other one is Just In Time Moving. And they move about 90% of our furnishings for our clients uh, for free. So we're very fortunate that, you know, we as an organization may only have to do a couple of moves a month because the moving companies do the rest for us. For, and, and we're very, we're very thankful for that. Awesome. Yeah. And then um, about six months after the move, we check in with our clients to see how they're doing. We want to make sure that they are still living there first and foremost. Um, we want to see if they are in need of any other resources in the community that we could connect them to. Um, and then um, we also give them opportunities to connect on a volunteer basis if they're interested in giving back as well. Um, we are also in the process of starting a, um, uh, you know, a social entrepreneurship program where we are um, going to have a service that we call a pack and pickup service. Um, right now, we, of course, pick up donations from folks in the community who have, you know, gently used items they want to donate to us. But we have also been getting a number of calls from, um, you know, retirement communities or folks who are selling their second home who want us to come in and, you know, pack up everything and take it. So we're actually starting a uh, uh, you know, a business on the side where we will come and do that for a fee. And then our goal is to um, hopefully employ some of our clients who are in need of work to help us do that pack and pickup service. Nice. And very nice. How many, how many individuals, how many families are you working with on a monthly and annual basis? Uh, well, last year, in 2017, we served 481 individuals. Wow. And this year, we are well on our way to um, exceeding that number. Um, the, you know, the, the need has not gotten smaller. In fact, you know, in the, in the almost two years I've been there, it's, it's huge. The year before I came, they served about 78 people. And then last year, we did 431. Um. And I think, uh, you know, we receive, in a month, we receive about 200 to 250 calls for people needing assistance. Now, not everyone qualifies or is ready for our service, but that's just, you know, we're very small and kind of grassroots and aren't, you know, our name isn't an everyday word out there in the community. So even us being that small, we're getting that many calls in a month and we can only serve, you know, about 20% of those. Got it. All right. So is it the intention to continue growing, to staff up, to 
to meet those needs or is it the intention to partner with other organizations to be able to meet the needs? What is what does the future look like? Yes. So, um, you know, we have we've been very fortunate in the last month. We purchased our first very own truck and wrapped it. I know with some amazing graphics. Um, So that is um, allowing us to grow because then the truck is at our disposal whenever we need it. We don't have to, you know, borrow a partner's truck or rent a truck. We have our own truck. Um, We also, in the last two months, have hired two new staff. And we'll be ramping up for those folks to go full-time, you know, once, you know, our budget allows. So that will allow us to serve more people. And so, yeah, absolutely. The, The things that are keeping us from growing are probably the challenges that most nonprofits face is, you know, funding for staffing um, and then, you know, funding to, you know, make sure we have, you know, all the other things in place that everybody needs, right? So we're in the hunt for warehouse space. If anybody has or knows of warehouse space, that's a good deal. Um, we're looking at about 7,000 square feet. That's our, that's probably our biggest challenge right now because the community is so generous. Our current uh, storage uh, warehouse is full um, to the brim. And so we, we need to get it out as soon as we get it in and cleaned and sterilized and processed because there's more coming in. So the shortage certainly isn't in in-kind furnishings. It's in staffing to be able to process all the requests that come through. Got it. <clears throat> so many different challenges to work on, so many different opportunities, uh, but that's really exciting about the new truck and the new staff and got your work cut out for you, but but I'm, I'm sure that you guys will be able to do it. Um, well, the other question that we really love asking our executive directors who come on the show is, knowing that the whole world would hear it, what plea would you make? Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, I think the, one of the, the biggest pleas that I would make would be for folks to volunteer. Um, we, before I came on board, we were completely volunteer-driven. Um, last year we had 146 volunteers who donated 5,766 hours of time for us. But um, I, I know not all organizations use volunteers, but for us, it's the lifeblood of our business. So I just I would just encourage folks to consider volunteering. Um, you know, there are so many volunteer platforms like Volunteer Match and other places where folks can go on and try to match themselves with something that they are passionate about. Um, but volunteer time is so critical to the work that we do. You know, for those hours that were donated to us last year by volunteers, if we had to pay staff, that would have been about $139,000, which clearly we didn't have wow. to pay. Yeah. And so volunteers are, you know, so precious and so critical to execution of our mission that I would just that would be the biggest thing is to, you know, have folks just look out there in the community and see where they might be needed. I love it. And okay. So how can, how can folks who are listening engage with you? What's, what, what's the best way for them to get involved or to help? The best way is to um, go to our website at furnishingdignity.org. 
um, on that site uh, on the volunteer tab. It has all of our volunteer opportunities listed, I think, through November. So we usually put dates and times on there two months out. There's also additional information on there about, you know, in-kind donations, if folks have furnishings they want to donate. There's information on there about our upcoming event on October 5th called Cause for Celebration. It's going to be, you know, cocktail hour, silent auction, live auction, tons of fun. So probably our website is the best place to learn the most about us. And then there's a contact us tab where they can always send us an email if they want more information. Well, I know that there's some folks out there, present company included, that are, are, are into parties. Tell me more about the October 5th event. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the event is, you know, it's a business casual event. It's going to be at the Mod, which is a really cool office sharing space um, on Central and Thomas. And the first hour is cocktails and food. Um, it's our dinner, or the, the food is being catered by um, the ex-chef at Capitol Grill. So we're really excited about that. Nice. And um, that, so the food and drinks and silent auction goes from 6 to 7. And then um, 7 o'clock until about 8 o'clock, we will do, you know, a brief program. We'll have one of our clients speak. We do a live auction. We've got some really great stuff in our live auction. Um, in fact, that chef is donating a, a dinner in your home for eight. Um, we also have a couple of timeshares and staycations. And so, um, yeah, it's just a, it's a, you know, less than two hours and a great way for us to raise money. Um, last year, we raised just under $40,000 in an hour. So we're really excited about that. Fantastic. And people can buy tickets online. Yeah, okay. right at the top of our website, there's a little logo there. It says Cause for Celebration. They can click there and purchase tickets. Uh, if they can't come, there's also an opportunity to make a donation or to donate something for our auction as well. Perfect. Awesome. What have we forgot to talk about, Centauri? That's it. Answer all my questions. Thank you for, for being on and sharing all about Furnishing Dignity. I think you guys are doing some fantastic work in the Valley, so keep it up. Thank you. I, I appreciate that so much. And we, we love the work we do. And, you know, we're strange people. We like moving furniture and setting up <laughs> hot. Um, but we also know what it feels like when those little kids, you know, at the end of the move, those little kids jump in a bed and have their very own space. And um, it's just very exciting for us. No question about it. Well, Aaron, is there anything else you'd like to share? Um, nope. Other than, you know, please visit our website. Uh, my phone number and information are on the website as well. Happy to talk to anybody who's interested in connecting with us in any way. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Aaron. And thank you so much for listening and supporting the show. Go to furnishingdignity.org and check out all the great stuff that they're doing. Check out all the different opportunities for volunteering and go to the October 5th event because I'm sure that that will be an awesome event. Um, and I will list all the locations that we discussed in the notes of the show. Thanks again, Aaron. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. And as always, keep questioning because the struggle is real.